This episode is brought to you by Creative Edge. Creative Edge specializes in getting exposure for independent artists, writers, and authors. They also specialize in arranging book signings, school or library events, or other functions pertaining to the arts. If you are interested in seeing what they can do for you, visit them at creative-edge.com. Welcome to In the Mouth of Monster. I'm your host, Monster Dugan, and with me today in the layer is John Schatzer. How you doing, I sir? I live in dream. What kind of dream is that? <laughs> well, I dream small, so I'm never disappointed. Well, my I'm problem a, I'm is... A, yeah, I'm actually kind of jazzed, because as we're recording this, it's closing in on the end of September, and my annual Halloween movie marathon, where I watch all my favorites... Uh, is going to start October 1st. Nice. Yeah, I actually uh, decided to start a little early, and I started watching some of my favorites. So I already uh, watched through uh, Night of the of the Demons, the remake that I really love with Edward Furlong and uh, Shannon Elizabeth. Have you seen that? Yeah, I have. And um, if you like that, uh, what is it? I mean, I like the original, but the remake is just a lot more fun. Oh, I don't think so. I, I the remake's fine, but if you want to watch something cool, have you seen the hazing? Uh, yeah, but I don't remember. It's been so long since. Oh, I've it's seen awesome. It. Yeah, but yeah, I have seen that. Yeah, Tiffany Shepard's the hazing. Yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah, as a matter of fact, um, um, we were talking about it before the barn. Um, I usually watch that around this time, and I want to go ahead and announce that at during October here, we're gonna have Zane Hirschberger on the on the show to uh. Discuss his new film, Force to Fear, and to discuss, of course, The Bard, which he did in the cinema. Oh, yeah, and 1031. Yeah, I forgot about yeah. that as well. So, yeah, we're going to have him on. Uh, that'll be a pretty fun show. So Yeah, we're, uh, my, my friend uh, Eric is doing his backyard drive-in where he sets up a big screen and we watch stuff outside. It's going to be chilly, which is perfect. And our double feature on Saturday is going to be Trick or Treat and The Barn. Oh, that's that's awesome. Nice. Yeah. Unfortunately, I they're starting to play a lot of really cool stuff at with the newly named Majestic Theater out here, which was the Alamo Draft House that uh, Lauren Knight runs out here for us. But uh, they played just just this last Tuesday. They played Deep Red, uh, Dario Argento's Deep Red, and I was unfortunately I couldn't make it, so I was kind of bummed I didn't get the chance to watch that in the theater. But that would have been really cool. So, but they're starting to play. They're really some really cool films during October and the end of September here. So now I did want to mention also that I do have my own personal book coming out called Monsters in the Dark, and that um, is going to be released on October 15th. So be on the lookout for that. It'll be on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all those good places. Um, we're working on putting the cover together right now. I got all the stories um, sent over. So we're banging out the, the little details and stuff, and that should be available soon, like I said, October 15th. So um, keep an eye out for that. It's a really fun book with a couple of um, Halloween monster stories in it. There's a couple of those in there. So really cool book to have during this time. So you could tell scary stories to your friends and stuff. But, well, my friends are already friends with me, so I don't need to give them any more fear. Yeah, that's already scary enough, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> hey, want to hear something like real but gross? Yeah. So like. Last uh, yesterday I was working. Uh, I work with my hands. I'm a computer technician, and I caught my nail 
on my um, was in pointing finger. I call it. I think it's called an index finger on my right hand, which is my my good hand, uh, my my uh, preferred hand. I'm right-handed, and uh, it pulled like all the way up. It like took a sh- uh, just a, a sliver of it right off, all the way up under the skin. I was like, damn, that hurts, that hurts, that hurts. But, you know, it happens. Well, I'm old now, so apparently it's not done. So yesterday my finger was, like, sore and achy, and I'm like, all right. So I put some stuff on it and went to bed, and I woke up, and it was all gnarly and swollen in weird colors. Needless to say, I had to go to the urgent care, and I've got a wicked infection in my finger, and it's super gross and gnarly. Wow. Yeah. Hey, getting started on your costume early, huh? <laughs> yeah. I guess it adds some realism. Right. I got a weird, I got, well, actually, I got a weird call because uh, I think depending on how I'm feeling tomorrow after work, I'm driving out to be a zombie in a movie. So, hey, you got the finger yeah. for it. Yeah, I got the fit. You're right. <laughs> dedicated my craft. Yeah, you're dedicated. That's for sure. Yep. So, you're definitely a, 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 what do they call it? A character actor. <laughs> I'm, I'm very method. I'm very method. Yeah. All right. Well, with all of our shenanigans out of the way here, let's uh, hop into our video deadly segment. So we're going to take a break and we'll be right back after whatever trailer this is I decide to play. I'm Duke, the prettiest goddamn unicorn in the world. I used to be stuck on a carousel, letting brats climb on my back day after day. But a few years ago, I finally woke up and broke free of that spinning prison. I've been enjoying my freedom the past few years, been traveling, seeing people, meeting people, killing people, it's been great. But you can't escape from your past. It's always behind you, chasing after you. It never goes away. There is a lot to my past, a lot of parts I don't like talking about. But I can't run from it anymore. Someone from my past has finally found me tracked me down. I have no choice. I need to face this head on. I owe them this much, and they're expecting me. at the In the Mouth of Monster podcast, heading into our Video Deadly segment here. Today we have uh, something really cool sent to us that I was uh, ecstatic to watch, and we had already talked about this film, and we've actually interviewed the director in a previous episode here, Steve Rosinski, and we're talking, of course, about the um, sequel to Cares Hell, Cares Hell 2, or Cares Hell the Second, or if you listen to our previous episode where we interviewed Steve, Cares Hell Jr. was the original title. Yeah. But um, yeah, this is um, this is one hell of a film. I was excited to watch it. So let me give a little synopsis here. Basically, it's Duke, the carousel unicorn from the first one, who goes around slashing people and stabbing and killing. Uh, it says Duke is always. This is uh, via IMDb as well. So Duke has always wondered about his purpose in life, who he was, what he was meant to do, 
He just found out he is the father, and at the same time, those who created Duke years ago have found him. So basically, the synopsis of this is the people that created him are looking for him, and they've been looking for him for quite a while, which is the Nazis. Uh, so the Nazis are after him. And he realizes he's a dad, and he has a son, Robbie, which that thing is, is creepy as hell. Um, yeah. But <laughs> And it's actually his son from the girl that he had Nookie with in the first movie yeah. because that just, I guess it's, well, it's, it's a, a magical homicidal unicorn who knows what the gestation is for their children. So, right. <laughs> and speaking of that, so, I mean, there are going to be some spoilers in this as we're talking about it. So if you don't want to hear the spoilers, um, we're giving you a chance right now to pause it, go watch the movie and come back and listen to this. It's available, I think, on Amazon right now, but I know he's sent out um, DVDs everywhere, and so you can cop a DVD from Steve Rosinski. Just check him out at stevebuster.com. Yeah, um, go buy, go spend money with Steve. Yeah, yeah, this is uh, this is one hell of a movie. Um, but yeah, so spoilers. Anyways, uh, I wanted to say, uh, so uh, we were just talking about the sex scene he had in the first one where he ends up with his son. Uh, there's another sex scene in this, but it's not with a woman this time, and... It was freaking hilarious. So, yeah, he has sex with the gay Nazi. Yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. good times. <laughs> good times. Good times. You know, I I thought the first movie had a weird sex scene where the girl, the human lady, had sex with a an inanimate object, um, being the re uh, the the animated, I should say, carousel unicorn. But now you have a gay german doing all kinds of stuff with it and there's this weird thing too like like duke apparently the unicorn um the carousel unicorn like hitler saw it and he's like when he's a kid he's like i'm going to make that the most powerful soldier in the world and his mom's like okay adolf uh, this yeah. is a fucking weird movie and i love it it's definitely i gotta tell anybody listening to this steve rudzinski has a weird sense of humor and i absolutely love it and this is just nuts. I mean, there's unicorn sex. Adolf Hitler is a kid. There's a, a, a Nazi lady called Ilsa. Yeah, yeah, it's just crazy. Magical powers in this, too? Yeah, yeah. Uh, she has a potion. Because the, the Nazis can, as long as they keep drinking this potion, they never age. So it's a whole thing. It's a whole yeah. thing. And um, they claim they're immortal, although they say, we're not immortal. We just don't age. But then the girl is still, uh, Elsa is still repping it as, We'll give it to you, and we're it makes you immortal, even though they straight up said it only makes them not age. They're not immortal. Well, I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> um, Nazis, not really honest people. Yeah. There, there's know, there's... Some great one-liners as everything everything is uh, uh, puns, uh, like Nazi puns every time Duke kills oh, one of them off. Yeah. Um, and, you know, because... Well, here, let me, I let guess me, basically let... the Nazis couldn't get Duke because Duke is too powerful. So they kidnap Robbie and then Duke has to go rescue Robbie. And it's well, let's just I'm going to talk about the kills on a budget. Yeah, more kills. Well, you let get... me say this for for those one for those um, one liners and stuff that he was dropping. I did want to I had a few of these written down. I wanted to um, say All because right. I thought they were freaking hilarious. So let me go through a couple of them real quick. So there was dead to Reich. Uh, right place at the wrong time fight for your right to party the uh the right way in two wrongs don't make a right and you have a right to remain dead those are just a few that i that i uh <laughs> i caught 
So, yeah, yep. that, I, it is freaking puns galore in this film. The effects on a budget were really impressive. The, the first kill I want to talk about is that burning reference. Yeah, where Duke takes somebody out with a pair of shears. Um, there's another person who gets his soul sucked out and he completely collapses. You got a claw hammer to the face. You get somebody taken out wrapped in a Nazi flag, but it's it's reminiscent of the famous sleeping bag kill from Jason. Um, yeah. Yeah. Head goes off. Another person gets their head split. Duke takes somebody out with a gun. A, hel- a heart gets ripped out in the best. Uh, there's this cool, cool executed melting face that I just yeah. That, I'm like watching, going, "Damn, Steve, yeah, did yourself this time." Yeah, that was that scene itself, man. That is fantastic. I I mean, I really love like I mean, like as I said, I'm gonna save some spoilers here. So, if, again, if you're listening and you want to pause it real quick so you don't hear this, but that uh, rainbow power that he shoots out and and makes her melt. That shit was just fantastic. I mean, that was one of the best things I've seen in a long time in in indie film. And that puppet that they use for Robbie, because Robbie's actually like animated and he's not like where it's just Duke who they have like a a hoof and a cut. It's just funny how they do Duke. No, like Robbie is, I don't know they intended it to be creepy, but it's, it's, it is so creepy. good that it's it's yeah. not funny. It's creepy, and and I enjoyed it. Yeah, like Steve was saying when we when we interviewed him, man, that that face that they made for you know for him is like the ears move, the eyes move. I mean, the mouth mm-hmm. moves. It is just, I mean, yeah, and, and and I like the way it looks too because he actually you know did it the way he should have, and he basically made Robbie look different because he is human. Uh, unicorn hybrid so you know magical carousel unicorn hybrid so i mean so the the way his body looks the way his head looks the furs you know the fur is different obviously because he's not like you said he's not just an in, inanimate object he can actually move and talk and has facial expressions and things like that and, yeah and they dress him up in, in human clothes and stuff and man some of that shit just freaks me out when i was watching it I couldn't help it. it, it I love that that character. It was great, man. Uh, yeah, it just they definitely up their game, which is what you want in a sequel. I I just think it's cool that they like started building a backstory for Duke. You know, he's magic, so that's why he can do what he can do. He doesn't remember who he is, and now that he's starting to remember who he is, he's gonna yeah. get theoretically more picky about who he just murders. Yeah, which spoilers there again, there is going to be uh, another film to this, another yeah. sequel. Which you, should Steve all, said, you should all already know that, though, because you should have yeah. listened to our Steve Radinsky. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. If you listen to that, then you would already know that he plans on doing six or seven or as many as he can of these. So he, he said he just wanted to get the trilogy out of the way at first. And then after that, it's, it's you know, all, all bets are off. He can go and do any 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 direction he feels with the with the franchise. So. But yeah, I really enjoyed this film. I do have a, a little qualm with it, though, as I don't think it's as necessarily as good as the first film. Uh, there's really cool stuff in this one, but I don't know. That first film is just really memorable. And I did like that Steve was in it again at the very, very end of it, which um, I, I don't know if you if you paid attention. Did you um, stick through the credits? Um, there's There was a couple extra, ex- I did like not. two extra scenes in there. So I did not. Oh really? Yeah, go back and check that out, man. There's two extra scenes in there, but but yeah, this is uh 
this was one hell of a movie, man. I, I didn't expect it to be so much fun and, and just as good as the first one. And it is. I mean, I enjoyed the first one more because it is the original, but it's just as good by by any means. Um, the special effects are fantastic. This, the uh, script was great. There wasn't much of a story, really, but the puns were really good. He, he had a great dialogue. Um, you know, the pacing was good. The editing was good. Special effects were fantastic. That melting face was, I mean, that... It reminded me of Evil Dead when they the original Evil yeah. Dead. It was some of that stuff that Sam Raimi did with those weird effects, you know. The I mean, his was more claymation this than this, but I mean, yeah, that the eye popping out and then it's hanging as the as the face is melting. That was just, I mean, I don't know, it's phenomenal. But yeah, I really enjoyed this. So I thought I think this is a one hell of a movie. I don't know if I would say it was one of the best of the year, but it's definitely up there. It's on the list, so. It's going to make my top 10. There were, there's, we've had a lot of good stuff this year on the independent scene, low budget scene. Um, But, uh, you know, I was very excited for this movie and it did not disappoint. Which um, I wanted to ask you, did you, have you seen um, the the movie acting that um, one of the ones I've actually helped produce? No. I might have to get that to you. I think you'll really enjoy it. It's, um, it's won a shit ton of awards right now. Uh, Best actress, like, I think like seven or eight times it's won best picture at a couple of the film festivals. So it's phenomenal. That's one of the, that's, that's one of my top ones and not just cause I produced it, but that's one of the ones I, I really enjoyed. And that's the reason why I hopped on to help them. Uh, cause they had already put the movie out, but they were looking for funding producers to help them push it through the circuit. So I helped fund it to push it through the circuit. But it, I mean, I'm gonna have to give you that one. If you haven't seen that, that's one of the top ones. If, if not the best of the year so far for me, at least, but, but yeah, this one, this Carousel the Second is it was just a blast. Um, I can't wait to see more Robbie and more Duke. And um, you know, as as you had mentioned, John, we're gonna find out a little bit more about Duke's actual story about who he was. And I don't want to give that little detail away, yeah. but yeah, but you know, we're gonna find out who who the Carousel horse is. So, uh, which I don't know, man. I there's something weird with Adolf Hitler going on. Cause like we said that they had mentioned him and stuff. So I, mm-hmm. I don't I want to see where this ties in and what's, you know, where this thing's well, going. They already, they already said they're going to explain cowboy cool from the first movie too. Oh, yeah. So. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cause he mentions that right at the end as he gives a little speech oh, about, yeah. about where the, he's going next. So yeah. And of course and the goddamn horse is driving a car, man. So unicorn. <laughs> it's a goddamn unicorn. Oh, yeah. Sorry. My bad. Unicorn. But either way he's well, cause you know, it's a carousel. Anyways, but yeah, he's driving a freaking car, man. So, I mean, I, I don't know. It doesn't yep. get doesn't get much weirder or, or cool or creepy than that. Well, and they've got the they've got the sunroof open because his his horn sticks out of the sunroof. <laughs> yeah, when he's driving. yeah. So you see it as he's driving off. You can see it sticking out yep. the top. Yeah. So. Good movie. Yeah, I I had fun. I enjoyed it. it so, oh yeah, I wanted to mention too that was that one character that kept. Uh, <laughs> trying to trick him with like balloons and uh he was the the uh, camp counselor when they go to camp who yeah they only and, made one flyer and sent it out to duke because obviously they're trying to kidnap him and it's the nazis but and he has these overly complicated backstories to fool yeah. everybody yeah <laughs> that was hilarious yeah definitely go check it out um i think he's showing it in the theater uh here soon um yep he's gonna but he's if gonna you don't catch it there from here yeah, if you don't catch it there, go grab the DVD. It's totally worth buying, without a doubt, worth being in the collection. So, I mean, yeah. I already got my copy, so, um, yeah, go check that out. 
So we're going to take a break, and we'll be right back after this. The real question is this. Are comic books good, or are they not good? I was fascinated with pre-code horror. Uh, one of the first major collections I bought was the Spokane Collection, which had an incredible uh, array of pre-code horror comic books. Of course, doing the horror stories was a lot of fun. You could imagine how, how much fun it was to put these stories together, and you could do them any way you wanted. <laughs> I had no guidelines at all or restrictions. They would say to me, Ray, Here's what we're doing, eerie comics. Here are the stories that are going in there. I look through them, and I take things that I thought would illustrate them. Stan looked at the, the letter, and he says, I said, Mr. Lee, would you like to look at some of my work? He says, uh, no, no, Jack says you're a good artist. He says, he says, here, I want this back in a week. with the monster it's kind of funny as they uh they always advertise these these comics for kids and stuff but there is you know my brother's a huge comic book collector he has a huge collection of all kinds of stuff and you know a lot of that stuff is it's it's all adult material but they they um you know their target audience was kids which is kind of funny so yes that was kind of you know exactly yeah it, it was you know it was some, one of those things i mean when you look at comic books and i'm not sliding comic books at all because when i grew up i was read. i mean fantastic for spider i mean i was into like a lot of superhero stuff a lot but you know comic books it's like what happened is that you you you, you inevitably had the evolution to the graphic novel yeah. Because comic books just weren't cutting it. You know, people wanted more. So then you started getting stuff like The Watchmen and stuff like that, where it was like just, uh, I don't know, I, I, I don't want to say darker, but more involved and more adult, even more like, you know, uh, so, so human, like su superheroes were fallible. They possibly were even like psychotic <laughs> stuff yeah. like that. You know, yeah. you just that that was that was what happened. And so you just have now uh, it's just amazing to me, like the amount of, and you guys have seen them all of the I mean, just uh, it, between I mean, I as far as I'm concerned, I think Marvel and DC have kind of gotten boring with their they, stuff. They have. They're not. I mean, it's funny. The rumor is, especially with DC, but maybe Marvel too, is yeah. that they're going to shut down production, and they're just going to live off reprinting the last sixty years of books. I, I you they're know, more into movies now than they are even into making the comics anymore. Yeah, you're right. 
You're absolutely. That's the whole thing. Their money is in the movies. Yeah. They 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 don't care about the comics. Well, but, and, you know, and the I'll movies see. are fun, but you know the movies are fun, but like, um, you know, I was telling my brothers like you have to take those movies. You can't take them as canon to any comic series. They're basically no. Like, yeah. Oh movies. my God. Yeah. They have just they have they have slaughtered so many good like where you're just like going what what do you, what, what does that have to do with the comic book you know yeah. and they just, wait for the next phase uh, yeah uh, I know I know the stuff yeah. that's coming just makes me I was I was a Marvel <laughs> guy and when I was in high school and and growing up as a kid at one point in my life in the early 90s maybe 93. I had every Marvel comic book from 1965 to that point, with the exception of the first appearance of Wolverine, because I hated that character. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I'm not a fan either. (laughs) And that was the only book I was missing. And I was a huge Marvel guy. And I was the guy, I worked at a comic shop. I was the guy, if you had a question about Marvel, you come talk to John. He knows everything Marvel. Yeah. I'm telling you, man, it's just not the same. Uh, Yeah. The art, well, yeah, and people, you know, it. there are great artists. I've seen some really great, you know, I mean, but there's also like this thing <clears throat> that just kind of kind of bugs me. Like, for instance, I, I don't know, maybe it's just growing up as a kid, 70s and 80s. You have like Jack Kirby. You got people like John Buscema and stuff like that. And, you know, it wasn't there was nothing computer about it. <laughs> there was there was just no computer. It was yeah. just all it was all classic, True. you know, you drawing and the colorist and the printer. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it that feels, was that was it. Yeah, it feels manufactured now from the big. Very, company. very. That's what I was trying to get yeah. at. I was trying and, to and, find a good word, and it's manufactured. Yeah. Now, if you're looking for good stuff, it's all there's. It's funny. It's it's it. It's all come back around to the independent comics. Yes. There's some there's some wonderful independent comic creators. Um, I can't remember his name, but there's a fella here in Northeast Ohio that puts out all these horror comics and they're really good. And yeah. and it's all hand drawn. It's all painted. He puts them out as he can afford to put them out. And there's not a ton of them, but they're beautiful and they're awesome. And they're well. Yeah. yeah and people are doing very well with, uh, you know, like Indiegogo running yeah. campaigns and stuff because yeah. these artists that they're doing stuff that they really want to do in the first place they're like inspired by whatever Lovecraft or Poe or mm-hmm. or some or Stephen King whatever you you name it but they really want to do it yep. it's not like they're in a production line could you imagine yeah. like some of these yeah. great artists having to work for Marvel and they're like here do this shit yeah. <laughs> oh my god yeah. uh, <laughs> I would it would drive me insane. I could never do it. As a matter of fact, that's one thing. It's the same thing, uh, my friends, with filmmaking. When I started making films in the feature films in the 90s, I and I was like, man, this is really great. It's it's kind of it's like one of those things where you make a film, you make a little money, you know, uh, you usually are still in the hole for years. <laughs> It's just one of those things. If you're, yeah. you know, it, it just it's the way it goes. Unless you have a, uh, you know, a, a big hit on your hand, you're gonna. Yeah. It's making that all that money back is gonna take a long ass time. But yeah. the thing is, is that I was like early on, I was like, there is no way, and I could have. I was living in Los Angeles. I could have gone 
right into the Hollywood system. I even knew people that were working in it. But I was I saw what was going on and I was like, man, I don't want to do that. It just looks really awful. Like when <laughs> to try to like say, okay, I'm gonna work in on a film, I'm gonna be part of the crew, and I'm gonna try to work myself up to being a writer or director in Hollywood. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's just a <laughs> Yeah, it's a it's a bloody nightmare. I, I love some of those, you know, we can talk about filmmakers and we can talk about people that were in the Hollywood system like Brian De Palma or William Friedkin or a, a ton, Roman Polanski. Mm-hmm. And they're just all amazing. Yes, that is that is quite true. And some people still in the system are making really good films. But what they tell you behind the scenes is just it's the same it's the same shit some of these people are just like yes i've worked i've made films for in hollywood for 30 years and well it was pretty much a complete nightmare Mm -hmm. that's what they will tell you because hollywood doesn't give a shit what i mean it's 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 money you know that that's why this is why you have so many films being made science fiction and horror films that are just screenplays written by some guy wherein they could go back to some great novels. Uh, I mean, there are decades of Mm -hmm. Hugo and Nebula award winning novels and short stories that are waiting to be adapted. And I have seen that, for instance, of course, they're about to put out Dune, another version of Dune. Yeah. And they're they're also going to put out, uh, I think it's coming out very soon, Foundation uh, Trilogy, the Isaac Asimov uh, thing, which has been getting some traction. So those are based upon novels. That is great to see. And I hope that people really go get back to those because, man, there are some great things already written that could be adapted that are so much better than what a typical Hollywood screenwriter could ma- could produce. That's all I'm saying. Just, you know, because uh, these well, are the people uh, that write it, you know? Yeah. Well, let's uh, dive into some of your work here. So, um, okay. comes to you, some of your films. So, yeah, you made a couple of, uh, it looks like about um, three films between 94 and 2003. And then you took a, a 10-year break there. Um, what, yes. Can you, can you tell me why that was? Yeah, that was well, that was when 2005 to 2009 was Howling Earth. So oh, that's okay. when it, when I was going back and forth to South oh. America. And yeah, it was just one of those things where it, it you know, it, it, I took a break off. Well, they were I don't know what you call them. I mean, they were technically documentary style because they weren't music videos. We weren't doing fancy editing like a music yeah. video so you could say they were kind of it was kind of semi-documentary geez we even did a documentary sequence on uh we we met this shaman in uh in ecuador in the upper amazon basin and he we walked around with him in his garden as he picked the the all of the ingredients to make ayahuasca and oh, wow. uh then we we took it <laughs> We took the ayahuasca and we filmed it. Uh, so that was what that was very documentary like, of course. 
And that uh, yeah. yeah, that was that was that was quite that was quite the experience. I don't know if I ever want to do that again, but <laughs> it was it was quite the experience just to to do it and 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 oh, try okay. it. But uh, so for that period of time, for like almost five years, uh, I was doing that. I was really involved. I would, you know, my kind of my goal during that time was to move to South America. I mean, I was really like, I really was, we, I'd felt fallen in love with it. I think my friend had to, and he ended up, he, he married a Colombian uh, girl. Uh, I ended up mar- marrying a Peruvian girl. So we did end up, uh-huh. we, and, and we ended up living there. You know, after that, I did, uh, I went back to the last time I was down there on the Howling Earth mission, I met a Peruvian girl and she had already had family in the United States. So that was a step ahead. And uh, so when we got married, it was easy. We, we, could, we lived in the United States for a couple of years, but then we ended up going back to Peru for, for several years. And uh, so it wasn't until we got back to Mississippi in 2012, 2013, that I started in with the uh, with the next series of films and that was that began well 2013 really yeah 2013 with horror anthology movie volume one yeah yeah and that was the the kickoff it was shot uh in new Orleans. well it was shot all over the place new orleans the gulf coast and even one episode was shot in new york believe it or not uh, so that was all over the place. And, uh, that one was largely what I would call science fiction horror. Uh, most of the concepts, there was only one segment in that whole thing that was supernatural. The rest of it was total science fiction, uh, type stuff. And I love that. I love sci-fi horror. I mean, yeah. like really good stuff. Like, yeah, for instance, my genre. yeah, Event Horizon, stuff oh, like yeah. that just really, uh, it's just, it's great because if you can do, you know, if you can succeed, well, it's Frankenstein. The original Frankenstein was total yeah. oh, science yeah. fiction horror. Yeah, absolutely. And if you can do that successfully, it, it, it kind of like it just gives something else to the the viewer to think about, like you know, technology, where we're going, uh, things that are coming. I love reading about stuff like that, you know, like which, things which, that are funny because yeah, it's funny because a lot of people uh, they want to talk about horror um, when it, you know books and stories wise they go to they talk about Stephen King, but um, if you really read his stuff, he's actually not a horror novelist. He's actually a sci-fi guy. So he, he's done a lot of, I think, yeah, I, I, I would agree more science fiction than supernatural. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, it, it is a classic example, you know? Oh, yeah. That's purely, you know, sci-fi. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's, there's horror elements in it, but it's, it's complete sci-fi. Story. Exactly. And, but he leads you. That 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 the thing about that novel, and I think it may be the the best thing he ever wrote, because that for a couple of reasons. One thing was that uh, I it truly shocked me. That novel actually shocked me, 
because of the way that the creature, Pennywise or the the, the deity, whatever you want to call yeah. it, the yeah. way it interacts with the kids is oh, so yeah. far beyond what they mustered up for the movies. It was pathetic. Oh, if yeah. they had well, done the the uh, movie like that book, oh my yeah. god! Yeah, uh, the interludes I, in that interludes in that are crazy, and the, and the, um the fact that people don't know either they because you know. For those who haven't read the story, um, it is explained as an alien in a spaceship that crash lands on Earth. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's total right. science fiction, but so, I mean, for, you know, yeah, but but that's the whole thing. The entire setup, I mean, is totally horror. Yeah. You're just like yeah. going, whoa, okay, we got a you know a spooky clown <laughs> who's yeah. who's really demonic and twisted and foul to like the greatest degree something that scared the shit out of me that did not work in any of the movies yeah they, I, it was just book, like oh man okay the book gives you the chills that when you finish reading it but the the movies you're just kind of like eh you know whatever yeah i mean yeah i love tim curry i, I thought the, the oh yeah he was great thing the miniseries was really good for what they could do on television you know yeah. Oh, yeah. But man, those the theatrical film. I couldn't even watch the second one. I watched the first one. I was just like, "What?" I mean, <laughs> I did yeah. not watch the second one either. I did not. <laughs> yeah. You know, here's the thing about Pennywise in the book, which makes him so damn scary. He does not chase after kids. He doesn't oh, no. run after them, going. Bleh, bleh, bleh. He never does that. He doesn't have to. He is scary because he is confronting them with stuff on so many levels. Uh, I mean, it's just, essential. whoa, yeah. It's just like, you're just like going, what the hell? And that is something that the movie just, or the, you know, especially the theatrical films, they were just like, okay, let's make him run after kids. And he's like, Bleh! Yeah, <laughs> like I was just like, what? Okay, that's not that's not Pennywise. Sorry. Okay, uh, so I just had to get that off my chest. It was just a really <laughs> such a lame ass freaking uh, thing. To, and you know, it gets me with adaptations. There have been some really good Stephen King adaptations, uh, but man, when they when they screw it up, they just they do it royally. Uh, you know, and that was one of them. I really love Creep Show. I think is maybe my my favorite, and probably because uh, it was George Romero. Yeah, yeah. you know, I just yeah. love that. Uh, one of definitely up there with my favorite anthology films of all time, and I that's something that really got me onto the anthology track. So I made. Horror Anthology Movie Volume 1, and then Volume 2 was the follow-up. And, of course, Witch Tales is another horror anthology. So, yeah, so let's, let's talk about Witch Tales for a minute. Yes. Yeah, that's okay. a fantastic film, and um, I was I was honored when you uh, put a quote from one of my Thank reviews on the, on the box. And I just, I mean... I I really love that film. I mean, it was one of the ones that stuck out to me in the in the um you know at that uh, the Horror on Sea Film Festival. Uh, the right? Horror. Thank you. Yeah, I it is just fantastic. That, and 
So I wanted to ask you a little bit about that, being that uh, you shot yeah. it in two separate languages, which is a feat in itself. And I just wanted to have you explain a little bit about that and how you went about doing that, being that you had to shoot the same movie twice, essentially. Yes. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, it, it was all it was for the same budget. It was everything. It ended up to be like nine thousand three hundred dollars total for the whole thing, shooting in, in both languages. So. And I'll never do it again because it almost <laughs> drove me completely insane. Oh, that's I, I almost lost my mind. Serious. I was just like, oh my, some nights you can ask some of the people that are, <laughs> I, would, I mean, just, it's one of those things where, okay, I can speak Spanish, right? You know, I mean, I'm not a master of it, but I can speak it. I can, you know, conversationally and so forth. And uh, so I had a good grip on it. And that's why I decided, hey, I think I'll shoot it in English and Spanish at the same time. Then I will have two different things for a while, you know, two different versions of the film for a wider market. That was the whole idea. It was just kind of like, okay, so what I need to do, of course, is hire actors in Peru that are bilingual. And that's exactly what I did. I ended up going to um, one of their bigger horror film festivals. It's called Horror Fest Lima. In 2017, I was invited there and uh, as a guest, and they gave me a table. And so I had my own uh, table, uh, like dealer's table, right? But I set it, I set it up for, uh, for uh, casting. And so I, I just start, and I told, I, I put out the notice. I am going to be casting for this movie. Please come by, and uh, you, I'll have the script, like a part of a script for you, and so I can test them in both Spanish and English, and see if they could, you know, can do the bilingual thing. And that's what I ended up doing. I ended up, I think, casting about, God. I, it was somewhere between 15 to 20 people during that festival. So it was the big, that was the biggie right there. I just had to get a few other people. Like I had to hire the witch. Uh, Mayela Yokia is a very famous actress in Peru. She's on Peruvian television. She does movies. And I knew I had to get somebody really good to do the witch. You know, yeah, she was fantastic. And she is. She's so great. And, you know, the thing is that I still love the I think the Spanish version is the best because, of course, all of these actors, that's their native language, native language. Yeah. Right. Even though some of them were awesome with the English, the the Spanish version subtitled in, in English is just it's simply superior because they were just more comfortable, you know, it, with their own mm-hmm. language. And she just, she did some, I mean, they were all, some, some of those people, like in the various, from, from story to story, there are standouts, you know, people that really got into it and really just kind of tore the scenery up, you know, and uh, I love that, uh, that, that whole aspect of it. And I think that, you know, that the, you know, you gotta, you gotta realize it's kind of like, Peru does not have much of a film industry. Okay. Yeah, I wanted I mean, to ask you about that. This is the third film ever shot there, right? Third horror <clears throat> film ever shot? 
Actually, well, it's the it, no, it's it's the well, to my knowledge, it is the first. Uh, how how should I say that? It is the first horror film ever shot uh, in South America in two languages. Oh, okay. So it's got that thing now. I believe that historically in cinema, it is the first horror anthology film ever shot in two languages, like worldwide, that there is no other. So yeah. that it it does have never, that. Uh, yeah, yeah. I've I've never I've never run across any. Although I have seen a few films that have been you you know that they were shot in both languages. Like in like a film that's shot in English and German. For example, they would simultaneously shoot it like that. I've seen those. So it's definitely not unique in that respect. But as a as a horror anthology film, it is. And, uh, you know, it was just it was it was difficult, you know, getting it together in in Peru uh, because there's like a lack of resources. It's not like you're. You're here, and every state's got its own, you know, film associations, and people are making movies everywhere. It's not that way. It's not that way in Peru. So you kind of, you have to, it takes a while to, to get your people together, to get the, you know, the cast and the crew uh, together. And uh, it was just, you know, very fortunate that things came together the way that they did. But I will definitely never shoot another movie uh, simultaneously in two languages. Never going to happen. Yeah, that, that's some hard work right there. Really hard work. So I, I applaud you on that. Yeah. And, and you know, here's, let me just say quickly the way that we did it. This was how, we, how it would happen. So we'd be on set and for, we'd do take, let's say, scene one. So we'd shoot scene one in you know, in, in a in straight, you know, chronologically, you know, from shot 1A to shot 1Z, right, yeah. uh, in Spanish. Then we'd have to, re uh, we'd go back from point A to point Z, the actors would turn around, we'd, they'd loosen up for the English, and we'd have to reset everything and go back and shoot from point A to point Z in English. So essentially, we were d definitely shooting two films. <laughs> you oh, yeah. know, yeah, it, it, it was, and sometimes it was just like, I would, you know, you're dealing with, we're shooting in Lima. Lima is 10 million people. It's a city of 10 million people. It's freaking huge. And it is noisy as hell. You oh, try okay. to... Try to, you know, the, the idea of like shooting on set. Holy shit. It was just, <laughs> it was just insane. I had, I had to end up doing ADR on a, a ton of stuff. Uh, and, you know, it would, it, yeah, it was just very difficult to get through uh, some of the scenes uh, that where we, where we were shooting. But, uh, you know, it happened. We did it. And, uh, you know, it, it, I think it worked very well, and it was something that I really, it, I always wanted to do because, as I said before, I love those comic books from the 50s, and they had such great, some of those stories are so good, 
you know, I mean, just like really good little like, uh, I don't know if you want to call them morality tales, but, you know, kind of like tales from the crypt, that kind of thing where the guy, the bastard gets his comeuppance, you know, kind of thing, Uh, just very classic. And I like that. Uh, that kind of thing. And, and it was just natural after, the, you know, shooting that witch tales. So what happened is I literally, God, this is a strange thing to say. It's just every time I think about it, it kind of gives me the chills. But I was editing uh, the Spanish version of witch tales, Cuentos de la Bruja, in in Peru. And I finished it. Basically, I got the rough cut. And we had a showing and everything was totally cool. And it brought us to uh, basically to about September of 2019. Okay. And at that point, I was like, well, I've got the rough cut. I still need to edit the, the English version. But in order to sell this film, I'm not going to be able to sell it in Peru. I must move back to the United States. It's just one of those things. If you're gonna you're gonna sell your movie, it's yeah. you get back to your 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 own country because legally speaking, uh, you know, I mean, it, just the ease of selling is yeah. so much greater here in the United States. So, in December of 2019, I came back to the United States. In March of 2020. They closed all air travel down yeah, because of COVID. I literally, and by dumb luck, it wasn't, it had nothing to do with COVID or anything. I, I was just like, I'm moving back to finish my English part and sell the movie. And then everything happened. It all happened. Tell me about your, I mean, we kind of talked about it a little bit already, but the uh, Haunted yeah. Thrill, the, you know, your uh, 1950s pre-co comic book project that you're working on. You have some, I saw a poster that said that there was Stan Lee and uh, Jack Kirby. Did you get to interview these guys or were you just talking about them or? Well, yeah, actually there are, amazingly enough, there are three artists from the pre-code era that I interviewed. uh, And two of them have since died. I, I conducted the interviews in 2018. At this time, I was still in Peru. But uh, actually, I should say I conducted all of the interviews between 2018 and 2019. I was still living in Peru. I came over to the United States for a few months to attend some film festivals for Cuentos de la Bruja. And at the same time, the idea was to go interview these guys for the the future documentary. Yeah. And uh, so what happened was that I ended up there are three of them. Joe Sinnott, Joe, now you may or may not, I mean, Joe Sinnott, if you look at those, Joe Sinnott was the anchor for Jack Kirby. He was the main anchor for years. Joe, Joe Sinnott unto him, Jolton Joe, Jolton Joe Sinnott, as Stan Lee used to call him. He, but he did a ton of pre-code horror comics. I don't know if you know that. Before, before Marvel, he was doing horror comics and westerns and romance all that stuff in the pre-code 50s era, along with Jack Kirby. I don't know if you're aware of that. Jack Kirby started out doing horror comics. Oh, I didn't know that either. Yeah, you got to check it out. Check out, if you look up 
Black Magic. Black, uh, Jack Kirby, if you do a, a search for Jack Kirby Black Magic, I think you're going to flip out. I mean, because this is 10 years before Fantastic Four, man. He's doing all this stuff. He's doing these pre-code horror comics. And some of that stuff is great. I just really love this. So, so on the poster, I've got the three guys that I interviewed. Joe Sinnott, Everett Raymond Kinsler, who's just one of the greatest artists I've ever seen in my life. It was definitely one of the greatest artists I've ever met. The guy, a- absolute genius. Uh, and uh, Vic, uh, Victor Carabata. Okay, all three of those guys did uh, extensive pre-code horror comic work. And basically what it was is I was just started to track people down that were still alive. All of these guys are in their 90s. I mean, you can imagine. Just imagine you're built, you're you're born in 1925. (laughs) I mean, now you're you're like 95, just like Stan Lee. Yeah. He died oh, when yeah. he was, I think, 95, 96, some, somewhere in there. I think it was 96, yeah, something yeah. like that. And all of these guys are the same way. And I was amazed to find when I went and I interviewed these guys that they were all still lucid. I mean, they were, you know, like, okay, occasionally they would ramble about, you know, kind of get off track about something or whatever. Jesus, you know, I could only imagine when you're in your 90s. Like, I mean, I, I don't even think I'm going to live nearly that long. The, the, in the stories first... you'll have. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. So these guys were great. They, they I think in, in the, it shows in the documentary, you know, that uh, they were still on the ball. They really were uh, with their faculties uh, talking about working at, you know, I mean, like working. It, some of the stories they tell, you know, short and sweet, but. The things like working for Stan Lee, you know, two of them, Joe Sinnott and Victor Carabata, they, man, they were like practically teenagers when they started working for Stan Lee, who, who was the editor for Atlas Comics pre-Marvel uh, at, at the Empire State Building in 1949. <laughs> I mean, so, it's just mind boggling. Uh, and so they talk about Stan Lee. And so. According to the that the movie poster that you're talking about, they're they're either either one of those three guys uh, is talking about like for instance Stan Lee, Jack Kirby, ton of other people, or I'm talking about it, you know, uh, narrating like talking about man, some of those gr- incredible artists, Bernard Bailey, my friends. I've got to say this and get it out in the public now. Because Bernard Bailey is one of those guys. Bernard Bailey, you know, people don't realize that with DC Comics, when Superman was created, you know, what was that, 1939 Action Comics, right in there? Am I correct? Does that that sound right? Yeah. 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 A few months later, the Spectre was born. Now, the Spectre is one of my favorite superheroes. He's so weird. He's one of, definitely one of the weirdest. He was create co, the co-creator of the Spectre was Bernard Bailey. Okay, Bernard Bailey went on to do some of the greatest pre-code horror comic book covers ever made. If you go to you, you will see them. I mean, he just did 
dozens of these things and they're insanely good. I mean, just like really, he, he just, he was such a great artist. And so I was, you know, I was like, okay, nobody knows who this guy is. When I just mentioned Bernard Bailey, did either of you guys, did it ring a bell? Yeah, it's a huge comic book nerd, and and I love the Spectre because right oh, now, okay. remember they started reprinting all the old classic stuff. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and that's so, when I caught on to him. So you know him. A lot of people don't. A lot, and a lot of these guys that are on that on the cover of the poster and people that I talk about in the documentary have been forgotten. I mean, there were black artists that worked in pre-code horror, great artists, nobody even knows who they were. And yeah, so I, I, yeah, and there's some of them are freaking awesome. And I shine a light on, light on these people. There are women that worked in pre-code horror. People don't even know. Marie Severn, uh, Ruth Roach, who I definitely, she is the one that, was probably the biggest name as far as a, a, a woman working in pre-code horror. She was it. Ruth Roach worked. She was the editor uh, for a ton of uh, uh, different publishers. But Iger, uh, Jerry Iger, who was huge th for decades in the comic book industry, she worked for him. And she was also dating him for, I guess, years. Uh, but she was the editor for a ton of stuff that came out through what was called the Iger shop. And this was kind of like a factory that would, they would, they would take like seven or eight artists. So what they would do is they'd take these artists, like really great artists. And, uh, it was like kind of a factory type of thing. So one artist who was like really good with the, the human form would do all the, the, the characters right another artist <clears throat> that was great with buildings and backgrounds and stuff would do that then you'd have an anchor that would do that you know the ink work then you'd have a colorist that would do this and that and so they had like seven or eight different artists and they would just they were just putting these things out like you know a dozen different uh issues uh a week different stuff as a factory and uh, so it was it to me, that was totally fascinating. A lot of the uh, these artists who should have gotten more notoriety because, man, there was just some great, great artists that were working on this stuff. People don't know who they were. They just they just, you know, after the Comics Code Authority kicked in and all of those people lost their jobs and those those publishers closed down. Uh, a lot of those artists just went back to their day jobs that went back to, you know, being a freaking, you know, uh, working on Wall Street or whatever, because yeah. they had there was just no more. There was nothing left in the in the comic book. A lot of them went to advertising, right? People went to advertising. Yeah. yeah well, you know, Bill Gaines. Now, yeah. He went on with Mad Magazine and stuff. Uh, and, and, and that's the same thing with that guy that I mentioned to you, uh, 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 Myron Foss, who went on to do those magazines, those sensationalistic magazines. And he went on to do ear, uh, uh, like, uh, uh, tales of voodoo and all that stuff, which were reprints of the pre-code horror comics. Some of them, some of them did 
uh, I don't know if you want it, you could call it evolve very quickly to to you know get into the magazine thing, but some of them just they just went back to doing whatever they were doing, you know, and and never did comic books again, and so that that's something unto itself. I mean. There are just stories and, you know, it, it's a 25 minute documentary, right? It's really, it was meant as a featurette. It was meant as a complimentary piece to which tales. Uh, yeah. So that was the whole idea. So, but I, I believe that in that 25 minutes, it's packed. It has just got, so, I've got stuff so much going with, uh, trying to sh you know shine a light on a lot of these artists and writers and publishers uh, that uh, otherwise have been just forgotten over time. I mean, I don't even I only mention EC once <clears throat> because people have done EC to death. They've done there's plenty of documentaries on EC Comics and, and Bill Gaines. You can find them on YouTube. The ones that really interested me were the the other publishers, the people that did some of this other stuff uh, that I just, I, you know, I just fell in love with, you know, really, I just, I just love the stuff. And some of the stories of these guys, uh, well, and women as well, are just fascinating. Like what they were doing, if you could, if you could imagine, could you imagine, for an ex example, a movie about Stan Lee? in the Empire State Building, working in the comic business in the 1950s. Yeah. To me, that would be like, wow. And all of these artists yeah. that are going to be totally famous in 10 years are working there. You know, Jack Kirby, uh, he, he was, God, he just, I, in, in the documentary, he, uh, Joe Sinnott talks about several uh, guys, uh, you know, and some of these guys that, Met, uh, met, you know, unfortunate demises early in life, you know, I mean, just tragedies and stuff. And, you know, you just, you're just like, wow, it was a period of time that was, you know, for pre-code, it was pretty short. It really started in 1949, went to the beginning of 1955, and that was it. It was basically five years, almost five years for the pre-code. That's nothing, man. I mean, they, you know, when you think in terms of, of, of genres and so forth, uh, or time, time periods, like people would say that's, you know, part of the golden age, but for horror, for, you know, science fiction and horror at the time, it was very little, uh, time for that, uh, in, in comparison to like, you know, silver age, bronze and all that stuff. Yeah. So well, it just. Um it got crushed, you know. As as we get close to wrapping up here, I have one more uh, thing I wanted to ask you about before we head out. So, speaking of writing and stuff, you became a, a published author, and I I was actually uh, honored to be able to be have my name published alongside of yours in the the Red Cape Publishing book. Uh, it came from the Darkness, the Drabble anthology. Yes. But, yes. But I wanted to ask you about. Having a story recently published in the Cosmic Horror Monthly, and it was a Lovecraftian issue, and your story was uh, Hogan'sburg Horror. So can you tell me a little bit about that? Being it's Lovecraft, I I'm a huge Lovecraft fan. So <laughs> all right, 
All right, another Lovecraft fan. Yeah, okay. I yeah, I, I'm a I'm a total I'm a Lovecraft nut. Well, Edgar Allan Poe and and H.P. Lovecraft, they're yeah. two of my oh, yeah. two of my absolute favorite writers of all time. And uh, yeah, so you know, having being a Lovecraft geek, I and also like I draw a bit too. I like doing illustrations, and I I've done that. I as a matter of fact. Before writing anything for years, I was I would, you know, do drawings of like horror stuff and things based upon Lovecraft and so forth. And it was only like a year and a half ago where I had I had written a story um, uh, that was based upon one of the one of the segments in horror anthology movie volume one. And I was shopping it around. I didn't have any luck. It took me like two years. Finally, somebody picked it up. They bought it. And I was like, wow, this is great. And so I, I, you know, ended up writing like in this last 18 months, like uh, six more stories. And the last one was Hogansburg Horror. I was just, I found this, this magazine called Cosmic Horror Monthly. And started reading about it, and I got, I got like a, you know, I bought an issue to see what, what it was all about. And I was like, holy crap, this is like very Lovecraftian. <laughs> and so I was like, I, man, I got to write something. I got to do, I have to, you know, write something for this magazine and see if they'll, they'll, they'll buy it, you know. And uh, so I, the whole, okay, the Dunwich Horror is one of my favorite Lovecraft. That one just really just gets me. Oh. Yeah, you know, right. oh, it would be. Could you imagine if somebody could take the time and have a bit of a budget to make that and, and do it as a film properly, like according to the book, uh, according to the actual yeah. novella, you know, boy, that would just freak people out. I mean, you've got like you've got, you know, Wilbur Waitley. <laughs> who's uh, that's already totally freakish i mean the guy the way the guy is transforming and everything and mm-hmm. that is just so intense then you've got this invisible entity that is roaming the countryside just completely annihilating i mean just killing people right and left and crushing houses farmhouses you don't know what it is and it's just such a great science fiction horror novella i mean it's got it is cosmic horror to the 10th degree you know so i was always that was one of my favorites and i was like okay at the time i just as i said i moved back december of 2019 i moved to uh to uh lagrange georgia for a while now lagrange georgia is about 60 miles south of atlanta so i was there for almost about a year and I lived in this house, like a kind of a shack kind of house because the rent was really cheap. And uh, it was in one of the kind of like a rural, semi-rural place where when you walked out on the front porch, you looked across the street. It was just nothing but dense forest across the street. And then if you look down the street, the houses would start up again. So it was kind of like a semi-neighborhood but semi-forested area you know and i would go out there at night and like smoke a cigarette or whatever and stare into the forest 
And that's when I, I just started, I was just like getting this total Dunwich horror vibe from that forest. Like I would hear things one night, which is just, just this, this is, was a catalyst. One night I walked out, I was smoking a cigarette and it was, there was a bad storm. Wind was howling, it was raining. And I suddenly heard this sound and it was like the sound of something rapidly moving and heavy on the ground. And I was like, what the hell? Suddenly this deer comes flying from behind the house. I mean, this deer is just booking, jumps, leaps across the street, literally in one leap. It just went over the entire street and vanished into the forest. And I'm just standing there like going, what? And then a minute or two later, here comes a dog, a big, like a, I don't know, a hound, some kind of a hound. And this hound is like frothing, like, like that. And it's like, it's in my front yard and it's like sniffing, snorting, like crazy, like it's insane. And it goes, it picks up the scent, I guess. But this was like, you know, you got to realize this deer is like miles gone by this time because it was just jamming like so fast. Dog was never going to catch up with it, but the dog caught his scent. So he he was snorting and sniffing and he went across the street, vanished into the forest. And that was it. And I was just like, all right, this forest has got some really interesting properties to it. You know, it just had that. It was just something that came together. And that's that was a catalyst for writing the story, which is kind of like years later, the idea without giving away anything. It, it basically it's like, what if some of the Waitleys after the incident in Dunwich decided to pack up and move down south to that's Georgia? Awesome. And so you got the Ho Hogansburg horror. Awesome. Yeah, as if you can't tell, I am a huge uh, Lovecraft nerd. The The title of the podcast is In the Mouth of Monster, which is in stolen the... from At the Mountains of Madness. You know, yes. Because John Carpenter stole the title and made it In the Mouth of Madness, and I stole that title from my <laughs> podcast and made it In the Mouth of Monster. So, yeah, yeah. And, you know, and, you know, that was that's another thing, too. And I think, I mean, remember, this was a few years ago. It wasn't that long ago. When uh, Guillermo del Toro was talking about doing at the Mountains of Madness, yeah, which that it's almost a, you can't it's impo that's an impossible story to re really create and and you know do effectively. There's so you, much stuff. I mean, I don't know if you've read that. It's a it's an insane. Yeah. Story. So, oh, it's I mean, great. Well, oh, the actual Lovecraft story that he wrote. It's it's the description in that and, and the world he built he built in that yeah. is just. It's insane. So it is insane. It would it would be it would be like a budget in the first place. I mean, just to describe the stuff that they encountered yeah. inside. <laughs> I yeah. mean, you're talking like just oh my god. Yeah, I don't even know. Flower, you know, aquatic flower monsters, and I mean, th those oh. things are. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's just totally insane. And and the thing is, is that of course. You know, they ended up scrapping it, and I'm sure they they probably scrapped it because of that. They were just like, "All right, look, it's just not going to work. Yeah, we're we're like, not going to happen as a movie." I mean, the budget's got to be a couple hundred million just to even that, come. That's close what I would to, you know totally. 
I totally agree. You would have to minimum have a hundred million dollars on that film, yeah. you, it, a minimum, and I and it might even be something that might not not even cover it. It, it just it's yeah. so such a like I I I, I kind of hesitate. It's kind of like an epic novella, if you can describe oh, that oh. it that way. It's epic. It's got yeah, a it's thing about. A long, it's not a long story. It's actually a short story, but it, the exactly it, it makes you feel like you're reading a you know a, a novelette or or a novella or you know. Yeah, it's like it's like uh, well, it's seventy pages. It's, yeah, it's, so, yeah. You no, know, it's novella territory, you know. Yeah. But it's still it just comes off like uh, something grand, like oh, yeah. big, big. You know, uh, and and I think that they, you know, those guys. Did you guys see the color out of space? Oh yeah, the yeah. Uh, with, yeah. with I've, with, I've with read uh, the story. Yeah, yeah, of I've course, heard. yeah. But the with with Nicolas Cage. Cage, yeah. What was so? What you guys? What what you think of that? I, I knew. Well, personally, I love Lovecraft. I really do. Oh. Mm -hmm. And I just don't like it when somebody not Stuart Gordon tries to put it on the screen. Yeah. Um, Stuart Gordon gets even though he it. makes changes, he does. He it. gets the spirit. Yeah. Yeah. He does. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, like you know, it, it was it was okay. I mean, to me, if you wanted to ask me, yeah, the best uh, Lovecraft-ish thing that I've seen in the last five years, it would either be The Void. Have you seen The Void? Yeah, the void is great. Yeah, yeah, and the hospital—that's very cool. And then the yeah. end of the Castle Freak remake. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Have you seen that? No. Uh, basically, spoilers, people. But okay. basically, it's kind of like they're summoning an elder god. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's got. Wow. It's, it's real. I'm getting to the end. I'm going. Oh shit. Um, oh, wow. Uh, Day Gone was one of my favorite. That film yes. is fantastic. That's a good and, one. And the it story is... is like different than the film, but but at the same time, I think the film did a really good job of like showing us Day Gone and what was actually going on with the cult and the fishing village and all that. So, yeah, it's it's basically Shadow over Innsmouth. That, yeah, that, yeah. that's it's like it's Shadow over Innsmouth with a bit of Day Gone in it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But primarily Shadow over Innsmouth. And it's, I think it's, it could be the greatest Lovecraft film ever made. I mean, it, it just really has a, a poetry to it yeah. that uh, escapes, you know, it, there is some comedy, but it's not really a horror comedy like Reanimator. <laughs> when you're, when you're watching Reanimator and it's great. I love Reanimator. I love it's it. It's kind of cartoonish. The yeah, it's yeah. oh sure, it's just almost yeah. you know, but it's but it's so good. But Dagon yeah. is like it's oh, yeah. it's poetic like Lovecraft. It's got a thing. Uh, Stuart yeah. Gordon, uh, yeah. who you know he's he's one of my I think he's, he's I consider him one of the great horror directors of all time. Yeah. And you know you know it's really incredible. Something you guys I don't know if you guys were aware of this, but uh, he. This is what really just blows my mind. Okay, you know, uh, for years, for at least several years, Jeff uh, Jeffrey Combs, uh, the you know, of course, the actor that that oh. that uh, you know he used so many times. Films, yeah, yeah, 
in all the in the Gordon films. Well, Jeffrey Combs was doing a one man show of Edgar Allan Poe. Mm -hmm. He was playing Edgar Allan Poe, uh, and he did it on you know live on stage. He was doing this great stage show. I saw some clips, and he was just awesome, you know, as Edgar Allan Poe. And so Stuart Gordon wanted to do a movie version of that. And I'm like, wow, that's just such a great idea. You know, do Jeffrey Combs as, as Edgar Allan Poe and make it into a film. Oh, yeah. So oh, what yeah. he's so what he does is he goes on Kickstarter or Indiegogo, one of those. This is Stuart Gordon, by the way. Stuart Gordon goes on there and he's like, look, I'm gonna I want to make this uh you know, Poe movie with Jeffrey Combs. And he set the budget or, you know, the the donation thing level on Kickstarter for, I believe it was either 300,000 or 350,000. He didn't get it. He got $80,000. The film was not funded. He did not fund, he did not make the film. It is Stuart Gordon. I was just like, what? What well, the you hell know, is wrong those, with people? You know, he's one of those <laughs> names that he's one of those names that unless you're really into indie stuff and know, you know, and love horror, you wouldn't know his name to begin with. So, I mean, I oh, could that, understand. Yes, that's true. Know. Although he, you know, that's what really. Okay, think. Consider it this way. One thing is like I'm. I'm thinking. <clears throat> why does he have to go to Kickstarter in the first place? Can he get somebody? Like, can he go to a studio and get three hundred and fifty thousand? Jesus, you know, uh, but no, he didn't. And so he tried it and never got the budget. But why wouldn't people like Guillermo del Toro or, you know, people that he knows and they love him. They love Stuart Gordon. Mm -hmm. Jesus. There are a lot of filmmakers or in studio people. Why wouldn't they just like say here it's pocket change? <laughs> For me, hey, here's your 300000 make the damn movie, because, I mean, he's obviously going to make something that's probably going to be way better than most stuff that comes out that year. Exactly. I, that's all I'm saying. It's Stuart Gordon. Jesus. Yeah. You know, yeah, we, I got lucky to watch uh, From Beyond in the theater just recently, a few weeks ago. Um, they played it out here. I don't know how they got it past the censors, because it's one of the goriest films I've ever seen, you know, of all yeah. time. But yeah, oh, they yeah. got it passed somehow, and we're able to play it in the theater out here. And I, I mean, it was just fantastic to watch from beyond on the giant screen. You know, the it is great. Gordon and yeah, it's it's and Jeffrey Combs is in it. You know, it's yeah, it was Barbara Barbara Crampton at yeah. her at yeah. her absolute sexy greatest. Yeah, <laughs> God, oh, yeah. you oh, know, yeah. I, I, should I say kinky greatest? I don't yeah. know, something like that. But she, yeah, it, it they that whole. The people in that sphere of Stuart Gordon, I mean, you know, for those films, when he was making those films, it, it was just so great. He just had such a cast and crew working with him. And that even when he went on and, you know, he did that film uh, for that that segment for Masters of Horror, yeah. uh, Dreams in the Witch House. Yeah. And I just love that. Uh, that. Whoa. Miskatonic and it, uh, if yeah. I remember right, that's the same. If I remember right, I think that's the same actor that was in Dagon. I it, it is. It's the same guy, same actor, and he was that he was kind of like the guy that took over from Combs. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 And he was great. I mean, I just thought he was just fantastic. Totally, totally different, but still totally Lovecraftian, completely within that that thing. And, uh, you know, I it's just with Stuart Gordon, it's just one of those guys where almost every one of his films, even his non-horror films like Edmund. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Uh, you know? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, he made some just incredible films yeah. uh, outside of the horror genre. Yeah. And I, I just love that. King guy. of Ants. King of the Ants. King of oh, Ants. Oh, my that. God. Great. With, what um, a great film. What was his name? Played Norm in Cheers. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. George Wendt. George Wendt, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and well, yeah, but God, have you guys seen Edmund? Yeah, yeah, where with uh, William Macy. Oh my God, oh, yeah. <laughs> I just like that is one of the most, one of the darkest, most bleak films that I had seen in years. When I watched that film, I was just like, what? I mean, what do they give you a free gun at the end so you can just put it to your head or something? I mean, it's just so it's such I mean, it's just such a heavy film. It's just like it is in in a sense, it is it was like a horror film, but like the horror of life, you know, spinning out of control. And I I think that's something that that Stuart Gordon really had a handle on. I mean, even in the in the you know, the horror films, the Lovecraft films. There was a thing that he he that made it set his films apart uh, that that gave them that extra dimension, you know, uh, of of pathos or something just different uh, than than other filmmakers, you know. Uh, and it's just too bad we you know that he died uh, uh, so yeah. early, you know. I mean, I I think he could have he definitely had more films to go let's put it that way you know and it's just kind of it's too bad but uh you know so that that's kind of that's kind of it with that but i did want to mention i just want to i i think we just went on this major tangent (laughs) we were talking about oh yeah yeah that's fine the hogansburg horror yeah and went into all the lovecraft oh yeah like i said i'm a huge nerd the the show's title is based after lovecraft yeah absolutely I well, couldn't help but get into it. So I wanted to ask you if you were aware of this other magazine. Uh, it's called Lovecraftiana, the magazine of eldritch horror. Yep. Okay. It is more so like uh, it's a large format type of thing, and they put they have more stories in it, and so forth. And uh, I've got a couple of issues. I have a few illustrations in the last issue, but. The next issue that's coming out is at the end of October. It's the Halloween issue. And most, I, I, as a matter of fact, I think all of the illustrations that I've done uh, for this coming forthcoming issue are all Lovecraft. Oh, so you, you may find it interesting. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, you know, I, I, as a matter of fact, I'll have to, you know, I'll just send you the... I don't know if I sent you guys when I sent you those images, if I sent you any of those illustrations, but they're just like, you know, from, uh, well, one is dreams in the witch house and, 
the uh, shadow, sh the sh shadows out of time, shadow out of time. I believe that was a, a like an earlier Lovecraft. So definitely heavy science fiction once again, you know. Uh, but so I've gotten kind of into the illustration thing. Things with me, things kind of come in cycles. Uh, creative, creatively speaking, like, uh, you know, I made the, I made Witch Tales, then I basically ended up finishing the uh, documentary just a few months ago, you know, and at that point, I was like, okay, I just don't want to edit anything uh, <laughs> or, or film anything for a while. <laughs> I totally get you, man. It's a pain editing. <laughs> it, it is. And so yeah. I, that's, I just started, I was like, well, I still, I feel creative. So I'm going to write and I'm going to draw some more stuff. And so that's what brought on all this stuff with the writing and the drawing, you know, and I feel good about it. You know, I, 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 I like doing it. At some point, the film bug's going to come back and it's going to bite. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It will. But yeah. At, at this point, I'm just kind of, just kind of laying back a, a little bit. Uh, and and I've got the I've got the documentary Haunted Thrills is currently just started. Uh, I just started uh, submitting to film festivals. Okay. And yes, so I've got uh, it. Uh, it's been accepted to one thus far, and there's like uh, I believe eight left that I've you know submitted to that I should find out in the next few weeks. You know because it's all most of them that you know of course I. I uh, favor the horror film festivals of October and November, you know, because it is, you know, yeah. totally in that genre. Yeah. And so uh, they hopefully I'll, I'll pick up a few more, you know, get a uh, get some exposure with it. But the whole thing with the documentary is that it's not I'm not selling it. It's going to be free. I'm going to release it on YouTube and I'm going to release it on a few other platforms like Rumble and Daily Motion. You guys know that one? Daily, yeah. Daily Motion. Okay, so you yeah, yeah, just cross platform, right? Uh, for free because it's it's in the first place it's a short documentary. It's 25 minutes long. Uh, and I just want people to it's one of those things. I want people to see like the connection between that and Witch Tales. That's very important and also to discover these artists these that have been you know forgotten largely uh yeah. throughout time you know so that that's the idea but first it's going to do its little film festival run uh until december and then probably sometime in mid-december <clears throat> i'll release it on you know just onto the platforms and people can watch it well as we wrap up here um Wanted to give you a chance to uh, promote yourself. So where can fans follow you and keep up to date with what you got going on and and so they can be on the lookout for the haunted thrills and those things? Yes. Well, the probably, you know, the best that I've got a website, one, which is called Horror, uh, uh, strangely enough or hilariously enough, <laughs> it's called HorrorAnthologyMovies.com. Nice. Hey. There it is. It's all one word. <laughs> so I, I, I bought that domain a long time ago and I was like, hey, that's what I like doing. So that, that, that'll be my 
my main domain. And so you can go there and that, you know, I, I post, you know, stuff. Uh, it, well, at least at least several posts a month. Let's put it that way, you know, so people are up to date on, on what's going on. Uh, and of course, uh, on Facebook, there's uh, I've got the real progress uh, page. So it's Facebook slash uh, real progress. That's R-E-E-L yeah. progress. And that's, you know, it, it's a weird thing with Facebook, though. I'm not really sure what the hell is going on. But like, I don't know if you guys get this, but like when you post stuff, do you get like Facebook asking you to like spend $20 on ads? Yes. Oh, yeah. All the damn time. <laughs> All the damn time. Right. <laughs> Like, it's like annoying Annoying. at some point. You're just like, what the hell, man? And you know what? Here's the, 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 I'm just going to say this. It's, it's a theory. Okay. All right. You know, I used to get more engagement on my page. Like I would post something and, you know, people would comment or like it or, or whatever. Uh, and then they started doing, I mean, I, I have done ads. I have placed ads before on that page, you know, to get more people coming in. But then like, I don't know, like, you know, a year ago or so I stopped. Like, I was just like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to lay off on doing any more ads for a while. And then Facebook started just pounding me with these, you know, here, spend $20 and get the thing. And I was like, no, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, kind of low on funds at this point. So I'm avoiding that. But then suddenly it just seemed like I was getting less traffic. Like almost like they were kind of stifling my traffic. Yeah. I think that's what they're doing to a lot of people right now, because uh, for those who don't know, Facebook is one of the biggest uh, media's you know, um, platforms for, um, independent, especially independent horror. Like it's, it's really, you know, a huge community on there. So. Yes. Yeah. And, and I think what they want you to do is pay. <laughs> yeah. That's basically oh, yeah. it. Like pay for the ads or you shall not get any traffic, you know? So that, that's kind of what I'm thinking here is that they've kind of, uh, I don't know what they call that. There's something about like when, when, when you post something and then like its reach is suppressed, like it's just not going out to where it used to go, you know? And uh, that's, that, I think that's what's going on. So subsequently, man, I'm just getting, you know, Jesus, uh, I'm not getting a lot of try granted. Now I, I must admit like, you know, for me as a filmmaker, I don't know how other filmmakers really do it, but I'm constantly selling my films. That's what I do. You know, I'm just saying, hey, look, I've got this. I've got, you know, a witch tales or horror anthology movie here. It's for sale and it's on eBay. It's on Amazon. It's on Etsy, you know, and so forth. And I'm always doing that. Now, I could see where people would get bored with that. <laughs> if they're coming to my page and they're like, OK, it's you're advertising your movie again. I get it. You know, uh, but I'm also I'm also doing other stuff. It's not just that. I mean, I I will put up, you know, stuff. I'll share articles uh, or, or, you know, or posts from other places uh, and stuff. So 
there's a bit of a mix. It's, you know, I just, uh, yeah, after, you know, looking at it, I think that it's, um, I don't know. I'm just really not quite sure, but I think that, uh, that uh, it seems to me, it just seems to me that Facebook is a bit hard up for revenue. Yeah. As That's what I'm Billions of dollars already, but yeah. <laughs> I, I know. I know. But you know what? It was kind of, it was just kind of weird because they started really hitting me hard. I mean, I'm talking like a few times a day, every day, uh, like several months ago, it just suddenly started happening. I mean, just, and I was just like, no, I'm not, I'm not doing it. I'm not going to, you know, uh, keep paying you for, because I think once you establish and you pay for some ads, they kind of expect it. I, I'm yeah. just getting this idea that there's something where they're just like, well, he's not paying for ads anymore. Well, we'll just do something about that, shall we? You know, and there you go. And uh, whatever. Yeah. But, which, which, you know, it won't be long before people, you know, you know, you know, realize that and decide to just say, screw it. We'll go to another place and they'll build some other, you know, media platform. For yeah, us, you know. that's true. Yeah. That is true. And, and there are. You know, I mean, there are some other things out there. It's 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 kind of few and far between. Yes, but uh, it's just it is. I mean, I I do you know people. I do post there definitely a few times a week to my real progress page, and if people want to see updates, uh, and I think I'm going to have a lot of updates in the next few months. I mean, it's Halloween season. Uh, oh, yeah. Stuff just going on. And uh, (laughs) yes, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, it's I that's those are the two places I would say my website and uh, Facebook real progress page are the are the the two main things, you know, uh, for people to, to find out what's going on with with my films and so forth. Well, we uh, appreciate you coming on. Um, didn't get to touch on all the topics uh, I wanted to get at, so uh, we will have to have you back on at some point and go through some more of this stuff, so we can talk a little bit more about comics and and whatnot. So, although we did, yeah, a lot that, of that would probably. that would be great. Yeah, I'd be yeah, we'll, we'll, it. yeah, we'll have you back on. We'll have to talk a little bit more Lovecraft and and comic books and pre-code stuff and all that. So. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. As a matter of fact, you know, it's uh, I think a lot I, th- I I have a feeling that in in all of those areas, there's going to be a lot of movement, uh, like with Lovecraft uh, in particular films. I'm hearing some some more adaptations are, are brewing. Yeah. Well, they did uh, that uh, Lovecraftian country. Or whatever. <clears throat> that yeah, show. that series. It didn't like it, it died, though. Yeah. It's yeah. Gone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> but they're, but they're, trying. they're trying. I know, I know. But they've got the the guys now. From what I understand, and who knows, we're gonna find out. Uh, the dudes that did, you know, uh, Color Out of Space. Well, it was Richard Stanley, right? Uh, and, and but but it was uh, who's the guy? Who's who's Frodo? God, I keep forgetting his name. Oh. Uh, uh, Jesus, you know. Elijah Wood. Yes, Elijah Wood. It's his company, right? It, or he's part of the production uh, for yeah. Colorado Space, and that they. Yes, yes, 
He is a huge horror fan. Yeah. And he is uh, he was planning on doing two more Lovecraft adaptations. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, including the Dunwich horror. Yeah. Now that if if that's going to happen, it's definitely going to happen within the next year. Uh, because they've been they've been I mean, geez, they've been working on that one for well, well over a year now. Uh, yeah. Something I think something bad happened to Richard Stanley, though, and that may set things back a bit. He got some some sexual improprieties or something. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I heard something about it. Uh. He may have been <laughs> he may have been banned. Let's put it that way. Uh, so that may have set things back. Yeah, well, we appreciate you coming on. Uh, we'll let you uh, go ahead and, and head out here so uh, we don't keep you much longer. Um, but we totally appreciate it. And like I said, we would definitely have to have you back on at some point and uh, talk more about all this. Yeah, that it's been great. I really enjoyed talking with you guys. I mean, God, it's been almost two hours. Yeah. I think it, oh, yeah. I just kind of just kind of yeah. whipped by and, just you know, by. I would. I, I, I thank you both for letting me on your show. And, uh, you know, I really enjoyed it. It was, uh, it really had a great time. Well, Alex, I like awesome that. talking comics with you, man. Thanks. Yes. Yeah. We'll, we'll have to do that. We'll have to go more in depth because, uh, <laughs> man, just, just really the specter, that whole thing, the history of the specter and everything is just another it's just, I can't even believe nobody's made a movie out of the Spectre. It blows my mind. In any case, I just wanted to say that. But yep. uh, Thanks, man. Absolutely. Uh, thank you. Hey, everybody, it's John. And before we go, I just want to remind you to head on over to crappymoviereviews.com. It's exactly what you think it is. C-R-A-P-P-Y-M-O-V-I-E. R-E-V-I-E-W-S dot com. And uh, you'll be able to find a whole bunch of my stuff there, my writings, uh, other projects I'm working on. And you can email me from that site, too, because I'd love to hear from you. And as always, you can find me, uh, Monster Dugan, on uh, blazingminds.co.uk or um, as I'm joining recently, pophorror.com. And uh, you can... Check out any of my work online, um, author work um, through Amazon or uh, Barnes and Noble. And that'll do it for this edition of In the Mouth of Monster. For Joe Guillermo and John Schatzer, I'm Monster Dugan. Stay safe.